It's a lot of great things uh, that we have to celebrate this morning, one of them obviously being Mother's Day. And we come here to worship God and worship God alone, and we make no mistake about that, and we love to brag on that because that's why we're here. But today we also want to give a big shout out to our moms and uh, thank our moms for all that they do and, and are doing. And moms, you have a lot of wonderful words of wisdom that you give throughout life, and I know there's things that we'll never, ever hear you say, such things as... Uh, yeah, I used to skip school a lot too when I was your age, right, moms? Now, kids that are in here, I want you to think about this. You, you answer this question. Have you ever heard your mom say that before? Have you ever heard your mom say, well, just leave all the lights on. It makes the house look so much merrier. Did you ever, you ever hear that, kids? Or how about, let me smell that shirt. Oh, it's still got another good week in it. Yeah? You ever hear that? How about, yeah, go ahead, keep that stray dog, honey. I would love to feed it and walk him every day for you. You ever hear that? Or, I don't know, Aiden, you ever hear this before? Well, if Tommy's mom says it's okay, it's good enough for me. You ever hear that kind of stuff going on? No, probably not. Okay. Uh, where's my high school boys and girls? Yeah, there's some of you in here. How about this one? With a curfew, that's just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I'm running a prison around here or something. Moms ever say that? Dads? Moms? Moms? Okay. How about this? I'm sorry, honey, I don't have a tissue. Just use your sleeve. Did you ever hear that one? No? You've heard it before? Your mom's shaking her head. I don't think so. I bet your dad says that, but not mom. Okay. How about don't bother wearing a jacket? The wind chill factor is sure to change throughout the day. You ever hear that one before, kids? You know, mom's say a lot of peculiar things. I don't think they've ever said those kind of things, but I'm sure a lot of moms have said something like this. Son, daughter, I want you to know who Jesus Christ is. I want you to know that there's a God that loves you. But there's a lot of you moms out there that have said that to your children before. You've expressed that it matters that your children know who God is and that he has a son, Jesus Christ and that they love you. Just as much as your mom and dad loves you, they want you to know that there's a God that loves you. I'm sure moms have said that. So moms, we thank you for what you are doing, and, and we want to honor the women in our lives and, and how they've raised us, how they've loved us. They've uh, put us in time out at times, maybe introduced us to a thing called the belt, but they've also pampered us and put us in positions to show us that they love and care and we thank our moms for that. And some biological, some moms have adopted. And some of you may not be true moms, but you have raised kids like they're your own. And those kids look up to you and they call you mom. And women, you have sacrificed so much and you've probably received so little when it comes to monetary payment. But I'm going to tell you now, God is blessing you. God is blessing you for your faithfulness and your love. So keep it up. Hang in there. Young moms, little, little, little children, hang in there. This too shall pass. <laughs> As they get older and you see that all that you're doing really does matter in how you raise them. Uh, so happy Mother's Day. Um, what you say and what you do really does matter. And we're right now in the midst of a series called Facing Defeat Victoriously. And uh, we, we're going to show you today how to defeat how to face defeat victoriously, mama's way. Okay, and I thought about this. There's a lot of characteristics out there that I believe that 
uh, God has given to women more than men. And I'm going to pull one of them out and today just focus on just one characteristic that I believe women have a better, are better with this than men. Okay? And, and I believe it's this. It's that of being patient. I think God has given women a better ability to be patient than men. Now, some of you ladies are out there saying, uh-uh, okay? We'll work through this one today, okay? But this past week, I spent a half a day in the waiting room uh, at the hospital uh, with my father and mom and um, with my brothers and my sister. And, and um, first it was the room where they, they prep dad for surgery, and they're, all, they're sort of in there with the nurse, and he's all getting prepared. And uh, the nurses check in on him, and the doctor may or may not peek in, and just to make sure, okay, we'll make sure we're operating on, we're all good here. Uh, then they have a few last checks with the nurse, and then uh, they give you a last-minute talk, and then we pray, and then they come in and they grab his, his uh, bed, and they wheel it out, and we go down that long hallway towards surgery. And uh, it's that point in time when the, nur- the nurse says, okay, this is it, you need to say your goodbyes. So we say goodbye, give him a kiss, love you, Dad. And then off the surgery and off we go to the surgical waiting room. Okay, y'all been there? You have a few hours to spend. No more examinations, no more questions, no more poking and prodding, no more trips to the pharmacy. We just wait. Sit there and wait. We sit around as a family and um, we wait. Been there? Those long hours? You just wait, wait. Time moves so slow, it's like a turtle moving across the road. You just want to pull over, grab that turtle and help it and say, get there, right? But you can't. You got to wait. You got to wait. And I don't like to wait. I don't think we as a nation like to wait. I think we're on the move. We always want to keep moving. We got this fast lane. Um, I'm going to ask men to respond to this one. Gentlemen, be honest with me. Raise your hand. Does it bother you when the vehicle in front of you is driving one mile or less below the speed limit. You know what the speed limit is, and they're driving that and they're below. Does it bother you? Go ahead. I'm, I'm confessing with you. Awesome. Thank you, man. All right. Okay. When I pull up to the toll booth, I want to see if there's any other men like me in this room. When I pull up to the toll booth, I'm about a mile out, half mile out. I am examining which lane I think is going to go faster. And I check it out, and, I, and I, I'm calculating, and then, and then, I, then I, that one, and I'll zip across three lanes because that one's going to be quicker. And then I have to wait. And I pull out of there, and for five minutes, I'm driving down the road stewing on the fact that I didn't pick the fast lane. Any other men like that? There's a couple. All right, thank you for confessing with me. And then how about this? As you go to pick any store you want to that has multiple checkout lanes, okay? Again, with a shopping cart, I'm sitting there. I'm checking out like the toll booth. Which one's going to go quicker? I'm eyeing out even the ladies who are at the register, making sure, no, she looks slow. I remember her. No, she's pretty quick. No, she likes to talk to people. She'll take forever. Um, This lane, and I pull in with my cart, and I'm still looking last minute to pull out and push my cart to the next one. Okay, and then I look, and it's 20 items or less, and I'm counting the person's items in front because I know they have more than 20. And if they would just heed by that rule, I would have gotten through by now. And really, they ought to make it 12 because 20 is too many. Everybody did 20. Come on. Should be like six or less. Any other men like that? There's a couple of you. All right, thanks again. Some of you are not being brave anymore and raising your hands, but inside you're saying, yeah, that's me. I like the places that advertise when you go out to eat somewhere, it says, hot now, right? Because you're going to get it hot and it's going to be now, right? But then it makes you wonder, did they nuke it? Why is it hot and still now? 
Mm. And I think about it, but, but that's the way we are. We want things now. We, we want it fast. That's, that's why I'm saying, ladies, I don't think you're that way. I, I, I don't. I think it's the men that way, and there might be some ladies out there. No, I do the same thing. Okay. But I also understand, like, in the world of, of coaching, you can get fired if you don't bring home a winning season in two years. Uh, maybe they'll hire a, a college coach, and they'll come in, and he recruits his players to come in, and he needs at least four, five years maybe to see those recruits develop and, and uh, help him get that winning season. But, no, not good enough. After two years, you're not winning, you're gone. If they would have just waited, maybe you would have had that winning season, right? And what we've become to realize is, I guess what I'm trying to say is, our world is like a waiting room. We go to one thing, and then we have to wait for it to develop. I know many couples who have waited to get pregnant. I know some people waiting to hear if they got the job. I know some people, they go to the doctor, and they've got to wait to hear the results. Those waiting periods are so long. They're wondering if they're going to be accepted. They wonder if they're going to have that opportunity to receive what they were hoping to receive, and they're waiting and waiting. And then we send out a letter, and it's, letters are too slow, so we email, but some people don't read emails, so we text, and then we, we call. It's like, this has got to be done quickly, right? But we find out our world is like a waiting room. We wait for all kinds of things, from test results to paychecks to good news. We even struggle when we wait for our kids to mature, Right? I'm not going to ask the kids to raise their hand, so please don't, okay? But kids, how many times, don't raise your hand, please. Don't embarrass your parents. How many times have you heard your parents say, will you just grow up? I know I've probably said it. It happens, right? And then we forget as parents, oh yeah, the, the adolescence period, the growing up period, the maturing process, that takes, what, years, right? But it's so hard because we want them to grow up, but then when they get... To be that age, we're like, oh, they grew up too quick, right? I heard a story about a small boy. He got sent to his bed by his mom. Five minutes after he's in his room, you hear this, Mom? Mom's out in the other room. What? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? No, you had your chance. Now go to bed. Five minutes later. Mom? What? I'm thirsty. Can I please have a glass of water? No. I told you no. Now go to bed. If I have to, I'll come in and spank you the next time. Five minutes later. Mom. What? When you come in to spank me, can you bring a glass of water? <laughs> oh, so hard being patient. So hard being patient. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. As we've been looking in the life of Joseph, we've had many lessons to learn about facing defeat victoriously. And as I said, I already gave you the subject, gave you the idea of what we're talking about this morning and the characteristic that of the challenge of being patient. Genesis chapter 37 I'm going to read this verse to you, and we're going to sort of skip through 37 and 39 and 40 and get to this, but we'll sort of build up the story here. Genesis chapter 37, look at verse 23 with me. 37 verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe. Now I want you to remember, Joseph is going to check in on his brothers. They've been plotting 
to kill him because they are very jealous of him. They don't like him. Okay? So Joseph arrives. His brothers rip off his beautiful robe that his father gave him. They threw him into the pit. This pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. Now, it probably took me about 10 seconds to read that verse, right? If you want to, we can time it. You read it. You time it. But here's the thing. This whole scene of being abused and robbed of his, of his robe and being thrown in the pit, being waiting to be sold into slavery, took more than 10 seconds. It's probably a couple hours. If you can imagine the process of watching somebody go through that, the agony of being hurt and abused and robbed and, and beaten and thrown into a pit and laying in a pit tied up, waiting as you hear them bartering over a price to sell you into slavery, that was hours. We forget the time that Joseph laid there and waited. Turn to Genesis chapter 39. We'll fast forward here. Chapter 39. It says, when Joseph arrived, this is verse 1, chapter 39, verse 1, when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Now again, it took me 10 seconds, maybe 15, because there's a few extra names in there, but not long to read that, right? How long, though, was that verse actually taking place? From the time he left the pit to when he arrived in Egypt, he had to walk 750 miles. 750 miles. Calculated out, I tried to figure this one out. If you walk at five miles, five miles per hour without stopping, it's going to take you about 150 hours to walk. That's if you don't stop. Okay, so can you imagine if you're just walking for a week straight without stopping? Well, that's not going to happen. So we're talking probably here a couple weeks as he walked from the pit to the palace. Two weeks of walking tied up again, thinking in his mind, what happened? What's next? Why is this happening to me? God, what's, what, what, is, what is this all about? What did I do wrong? Why do my brothers hate me? That's plenty of time to worry then, too, about what's going to happen next. See, what happens here in this story of Joseph, and I'm going to give you one more yet, is that when we read the story of Joseph, if we sat down and read it, we could read this in a half hour or less probably. But we need to understand this was a lifetime for Joseph. We think that the Bible, you know, is like as we read, it's like, oh man, I should be able to get my life solved in 30 minutes like a sitcom on TV or like a Bible reading, right? But we have to understand that God was at work here amongst this long period of time. We read in Genesis chapter 39, if you continue to read on, that Joseph serves as Potiphar's slave for over 10 years before he's falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He ends up in a prison cell. Genesis chapter 40. Look at that. Genesis chapter 40, next chapter, verse 1. First three words, sometime later. Sometime later. Hmm. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended him. Pharaoh became angry with these officials. He put them in prison where Joseph was in the palace of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and Potiphar assigned Joseph to take care of him. Some time later. Let me translate that for you in Hebrew. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. It's an easy Hebrew translation, isn't it? Sometime later is a long time. 
Time's just ticking away. The cupbearer shares his dream with Joseph. As you read about this, look at verse 12 of chapter 40. I know what the dream means, Joseph said. See, the three branches mean three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will take you out of prison and return you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Now, please have some pity on me when you're back in his favor. Mention me to Pharaoh. Ask him to let me out of here. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in jail, and I did nothing to deserve it. So Joseph is sitting down here with the baker and the cupbearer. He interprets their dreams, and he tells the cupbearer, hey, in three days, three days, you're going to be out of here. You're going to be free as a bird. And when you're free as a bird and you're talking to the, uh, the king here, this is what I want you to do. Remember me. Kidnap kid. The one who was mistreated. Okay? So if you can sort of think about this little innocent man here, thinking, three days. I'll be back in good, possibly. Possibly. So Joseph possibly considers three days I'm going to be free. But then we read in chapter 41. Turn to chapter 41. First three words. Two years later. Oh, so much for three days. Two years later. He's still in prison. Two years. Let's start doing the calculating again because sometimes it's hard to think about how many months is that? 24 months, right? 104 weeks of waiting, 730 days of, is it today? Nope. Is it today? Nope. How about today? No. 727 days later, waiting to hear something good, listening to God, hearing nothing, all that time, nothing. You know what happens in those long waits? I want you to think about this. Ask yourself, what happens in those long waits when you've been waiting for something, waiting for something, waiting for something, and it doesn't come? What happens? How, what's your attitude like? How do you feel? What's your demeanor? How do you treat people around you? I lose hope. I get a little cynical. Really, God? Again? You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, our hearts harden and we get mad. We give up on our friends. We give up on our family. We start to give up on God. Because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing. But let's read what happens next. Chapter 41, verse 1. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dreams, seven fat, healthy-looking cows suddenly come out of the river and they began grazing along its bank. Then seven other cows came up from the river, but these were ugly and gaunt. These cows went over and stood beside the fat cows. Then the thin, ugly cows ate the fat ones. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Yeah. Soon he fell asleep again, had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain on one stalk, and every kernel well-formed and plump. Verse 6, Then suddenly seven more heads appeared on the stalk, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. These thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, as he thought about it, Pharaoh became very concerned as to what the dreams might mean. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, and told them about his dreams. But not one of them could suggest what they meant. Then the king's cupbearer spoke up. Oh, here it comes. 
Today I have been reminded of my failure, he said. Some time ago, how long ago? Two years. Okay. You were angry with me and the chief baker, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night the chief baker and I had a dream. Each of us had a different meaning. We told the dreams to a young Hebrew man who was a servant of the captain of the guard. He told us what our dreams meant. Everything happened just as he said it would. I was restored to my position as cupbearer. Chief Baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was brought hastily before the, from the dungeon. After a quick shave, change of clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh's presence. I had a dream last night, Pharaoh told him, and none of these men can tell me what it means, but I've heard that you can interpret dreams. That's why I've called for you. Wow. After two years, finally, maybe something, Joseph is now clean-shaved and showered and new clothes on, standing before the Pharaoh, and he says, tell me what my dream means, and you tell me what it is. Now, I want you to think about that moment. What is going through Joseph's mind? All the time in the pit. The long walk. Time serving as under Potiphar. Time in prison. Wondering, what now, God? What's going to happen? And you stand before the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, interpret my dreams. That's why you're here. That's why I called for you. Now, at this point in time, Joseph can probably interpret the dream because God gave him that gift. But he could have very easily have said, hey, toot my horn. I can do this. And boast and brag about what he has the ability to do. Just get me out of this prison cell, and I will tell you what your dream means. But listen to his words. Listen to the way Joseph responds in verse 16. It's beyond my power to do this, but God will tell you what it means and it will set you at ease. Sort of crazy. You're sitting there saying, why is it crazy, Rex? Because he had every rhyme and reason to be able to sit there and say, hey, I'm going to tell you what it means. I'm leaving God out of this. I'm a little bitter right now with him. Two years in prison waiting, 750 miles walking, all that time as a slave. I'm leaving God out of this, right? But here's the thing. Jail time, time alone, time out, kids, time out. Think about what can happen during time out, right? Didn't devastate his faith. It deepened it. Time out, time in prison deepened his faith. It didn't devastate it. That moment of where are you, God, it deepened his faith. If you look at verse 16, he said, it's beyond me. But God can tell you. Oh, he gives a shout out to God. When he could have been shouting at God, he gives a shout out to God. Joseph brags on God. This same God seems to be quiet and absent for a few years. Joseph brags on him. That's not exactly the route to go when you're standing before the Pharaoh and it's like, hey, let me tell you about God especially when the Pharaoh doesn't believe in the same God you believe in. Can you imagine standing for the most important, most powerful man there is in a nation who does not like your God, does not worship your God, and you're coming out of a prison, and you stand before him, and you say, let me tell you about God. He's the one that's going to help you. That's pretty bold. That takes a deepened faith, not a devastated faith. Joseph believed in that very moment. 
and all those waiting moments before that God was still working. Max Lucado writes this, God never twiddles his thumbs. He never stops. He takes no vacations. He rested on the seventh day of creation, but he got back to work on the eighth and hasn't stopped since. Just because you are idle, don't assume God is. Just because you're idle, don't assume God is. It's a great quote. The whole time Joseph was in prison, seeing nothing at work, here's the deal, God was at work. I want you to think about this. God places the cupbearer in whose care? Joseph's care, right? He could have been on another cell block under another person being cared for. God stirs the sleep of the king with a disturbing dream. He could have dreamt about all kinds of things. He could have never even cared about it, but it really disturbed him. God confuses the Pharaoh's counselors, the ones who have always helped him before in interpreting his dreams. This time God confuses those counselors. They can't come up with even a, a false interpretation. Then God reminds the cupbearer of Joseph. God was at work, just not in the manner and the timing that we felt it should have happened or Joseph felt it should have happened. See, one of my favorite verses, and it's probably one of my most challenging verses, is in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. You can look this up sometime. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Moses and the children of Israel, you remember this? Moses and the children of Israel, they just left Egypt. And they're on their way, and they're marching along, and they're getting to the Red Sea, and they come upon the Red Sea, and they're sort of cornered, like, oh, the Red Sea, we're going to have to go around. But little they realize... Pharaoh changes his mind. And he sends his whole army, entire army of chariots coming in, and now they are trapped. Red Sea, Pharaoh's army, we're history. Right? Remember that story? Do you remember, though, the part where God spoke to Moses and the people, and Moses relayed this message on to the people? Listen carefully. Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still. Would you do me a favor? Would you all please stand? Would you all stand, please? Because I'm sure as some of those people were standing with the Red Sea in front of them, and Moses got up in front of them, I'm sure they weren't laying around. They were probably pretty anxious. They're seeing the this dust of the chariots kicking up, and they, they see the Red Sea, and they're pretty anxious. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? God, where you at? All this kind of stuff going on in their minds, right? And what does God say? Don't be afraid. Just stand Still, hold your ground. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see, listen to this, he goes, I love how he says this. The Egyptians you see today, you will never, will never be seen again. He didn't say you'll never see them again. He said they will never be seen again. God is about ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. Then he says in verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. How many times do we want to give up in those moments of waiting and say, I'm done. I'm getting on my lazy boy, my couch, my bed. I'm crawling in. I'm laying down. I'm curling up. I'm sitting down. I'm surrendering. And what does God say? Stand still. Stay calm. God is with you. God is with you. Now, before you sit down, look at somebody next to you. Give them a high five if you want, and just look at them, look in the eyes and say, stay calm. God's in charge. Go ahead. Then have a seat.
And you go ahead and have a seat after you do that. Really, really, really. It's so easy for me to maybe stand up here and say this, don't be afraid, but stand still. Watch the Lord rescue today. And you know, I think about this, ladies, I, I don't, I'm sure you remember this story, but let's, let's go back to a mom in the Bible. Her name is Mary. Very important mom, right? Remember when she's a teenage girl and the angel came to her and said, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to have a little boy. His name's going to be Jesus. What was going on in the mind of that teenage girl? How? Not married? What are other people going to think of me? How is this going to happen? What will my fiancé Joseph say? Can you imagine what was going on in the mind of that young lady? And during that turbulent time, waiting for answers, waiting for answers, God, give me some answers. God was at work. She maybe didn't see God at work while she was waiting, but God was at work because God spoke to Joseph. Sent a message, hey, Joseph, this was what's going on. Then God prompted Caesar, hey, I want you to declare a census, get everybody to come into Bethlehem. Oh, and then he arranged it for them to go to Bethlehem. God was at work. All that was prophesied hundreds of years early came to be. So let's redefine the word wait, okay? Because when it comes to different words uh, and definitions, we have different things. So we're going to redefine the word wait this morning, all right? Moms, ladies, you have different definitions for people too, right? If I, if I use the word dumbwaiter, can, can any lady in here tell me what a dumbwaiter is? What is it? Go for it. Very good. Uh, a place with different floors, that elevator took the food up. No, it's called a dumbwaiter. Very good. But if you ask moms today what a dumbwaiter is, it's the one who asked your kids if they want to order dessert. That's the dumbwaiter, right? What was he thinking? Feedback, moms, your definition is that inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. Then they give you feedback, right? Full name, moms, what's a full name? It's that name you use when your child's in trouble, right? That's a full name, right? Grandparents, how do moms define grandparents? There's some grandparents in here, but the grandparents, those are the people who think your children are wonderful, even though they're sure you're not raising them right. Right? Are those are the grandparents, right? Yeah. What's hearsay? Moms define hearsay. It's when toddlers do what's what they do, right? When somebody mutters a dirty word, hearsay, and they repeat it. Ooh, what did you learn at? Independent. It's how we want our children to be, as long as they do everything we say, right? I want you to be independent, but make sure you do it my way. Okay? Yep. How about puddle? Define puddles, moms. Think about it. It's a small body of water, right? Yep. That what? Draws other small bodies of waters wearing dry shoes into it. Yep, that's a puddle. Yep. How about, uh, how about top bunk? Moms, how do you define a top bunk? It's where you should never put a child wearing Superman jammies, right? That's a top bunk. Yeah. See, you have all kinds of definitions. See, you say one word and we think something, you know, who done it? Well, who done it? What, how do you define who done it? Well, that's none of the kids that live in your house. That's how we define who done it in our house, right? You have all these definitions. Well, how do you define weight? How do you define weight? 
Moms, how do you define weight? Ladies, how do you define weight? Because my definition stinks. Here's, here's my definition of waiting, okay? So I need to redefine my, my definition this morning. Waiting for me is assuming the worst happened, right? You just need to wait, okay? I'm, I'm waiting for my son to call. I'm waiting for the, uh, here's how we define waiting. Assuming the worst is happening, worrying, fretting, taking control, right? And believing nothing's happening. That's how we define wait and waiting. So as, you know, I'm sitting here this past uh, Tuesday as we're waiting in the hospital with Dad on the first night. Comes out of surgery. Everything's awesome. He's doing great. He's in recovery. He's in his room. We're in a room with Dad now. Um, some of my brothers take off. Sister takes off. So it's Mom and I and a couple other my other brothers there. And, and so a little thing starts beeping by Dad's bed. You know, and keeps beeping. And we know it's the, uh, the IV is low and it just needs to be changed. It's, it's, it's all good, right? Um, but my mom, you know, it was only beat for about 30 seconds, if that, but it felt like three hours to her. And as she sat there, she kept that, do you think we need to check on that? Should we go, do we need to go get a nurse? No, mom, it's okay. It's, it's, they're, they're alerted to it at the uh, nurse's desk. They know what's going on. And Okay, okay, well, do you sure we shouldn't check it? And sure enough, she gets up with her cane. And she starts going over and looking at the machine, and she's about ready to touch it because mom wants to take control, right? And uh, we're like, Mom, mom, just, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll go check on it. And within like five seconds, the nurse comes in, just, you know, just very casual. Hey, what's going on? Yep, no, yeah, just switch it and change it. It's all good. They had it under control the whole time. But my mom's definition of waiting was worrying, assuming the worst is happening, I got to take control. That's how I define waiting sometimes, right? Waiting is defined in that moment. But listen to what Psalm 37, 7 says. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Be still. Wait patiently. Don't worry. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Be still and waiting patiently for God to act. Waiting is not, you know, that time of... I guess we think it as a time of inactivity, but it really isn't. I think that's why we struggle with it, because we sit there and say, I've got to wait. That means I've got to be inactive. I can't be inactive. I've got to do something. I've got to take control. I've got to step in, right? Nobody said waiting is being inactive. Waiting is that sustained effort to stay focused on God through prayer and faith. So when you're waiting, that's your time to be actively focusing on God and praying and trusting that takes effort. And trusting that when those alarms go off like it did in that room, you know, hey, God's aware, just like those nurses were. Oh, he's aware. I'm trusted. I don't have to get up and act in this moment, but I can peacefully sit here because I know God's got it under control. Not always easy, but that's why that waiting period is actually a time of sustained effort of trusting, believing, and praying. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the highers are heaven and the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts and ways are out of our league, are they not? I don't get it. I don't have to. I just got to trust Him. I just got to trust Him. My ways aren't good. My families and my friends, as much as I love my family and my friends, they don't measure up to God's ways. I'd like to think my ways are number one. They're not, okay? So what do we do? We stop. Stop and worship God. 
Exodus 34, 23 to 24 is a really neat uh, scripture there where God instructs his people. He said this, three times a year, I want you all to put everything down, stop working, and come worship me. Can you imagine that? All work stops. No gas stations open, no restaurants open, no toll booth workers working at the toll booth. I'm sorry, everybody's taking a day off. Everybody. You want to go buy something? You can't. Stores are closed. Everybody stops working. Can you imagine all commerce, education, government, industry comes to a halt while everybody goes and worships God? You know what God said would happen during that time? He said, I will protect your territory, territory during those times. Because in biblical times, you had nations that were always at war with each other. So if you put down your defenses, you'd probably be attacked. God said, no, you stop working to worship me, I'll take care of you. Three times a year, everything stopped. Everything stopped. It seemed like nothing could protect people at that time, but they had to understand, we trust God. We trust God. I'm going to ask the worship team, would you come up, please? Ladies, moms, and gentlemen, I hope you were listening a little bit here, okay? We need to redefine the word wait. Being patient. It's not that time where we got to take control and worry and fret and think like, oh, I've got, I've got to step in, right? Think of the life of Joseph. Like I said, it takes 30 minutes to read the whole story of Joseph. But it was years him waiting on God, trusting God. And in the moment when he finally had the opportunity to get out of prison and stand before the one in charge, who did he give credit to? God. Are, are we able to do that in our moments of waiting? When we finally get that answered prayer, when we, when we finally get that word we were waiting to hear from, or we had that opportunity to meet that person we we're trying to meet, or have that appointment that finally came through, or whatever it may be that we were waiting on, are you able in that moment to be able to step up and say, hey, thanks, God. I knew you would come through. In those moments of waiting and wondering, challenge for all of us is to not be afraid, but to stand still. Would you please stand again? Don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord himself will fight for you. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. Your waiting period, my waiting period, is not inactivity. It's a sustained time of focusing, trusting, and praying. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the many blessings you give us. But we thank you, Lord, for your word that reminds us we're trying to be patient and wait. It's so hard. But you give us a new definition of waiting. You remind us that we just got to stand still. Stay calm. You are with us. You will fight for us. You will help us during these times. So we pray to you and we trust you. Thank you, God, for this time we've had to worship you. Lord, Continue to speak to our hearts as we sing to you now. In the name we pray. Amen.